guest is author Alex Pukako. Alex is based in Nottingham, England, and, in, and is an engineer by training, working in the wind industry since 2011. Alex is the author of a brand new book about being a wind turbine technician and engineer. It's called Where the Wind Takes You, Adventures of a Wind Turbine Engineer. Alex, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. So there's very few books about being a wind turbine technician or engineer in the field, and yours is interesting because it's based on real-life experiences. And I, I, I know you've changed the names to protect the innocent. In, innocent. Innocent. Well, quote-unquote innocent, right? It's <laughs> but it's really based upon, on some level, your interactions and working in wind. You've been in wind over 10 years, and uh, you went through some of the sort of the, what, I, what I would call early times in wind, when wind started to become big. And in, in Scotland, and it looks like most, mostly Scotland early on, at least some of the, the book is about that. Uh, I, I want to hear some of the details. Like, how did you get into wind? Why did you get into wind? What were some of those early experiences? Because that is a, that, at that time, it was a difficult industry to get into. Uh, it was, and I think it still is to a degree. And um, as I always say, it's better to be lucky than smart. Uh, I did, I wouldn't say mine is a conventional route. And I think since releasing the book, a lot of people have approached me to ask, desperate to get into wind, what's the best way? So I guess in repayment for that, uh, I have, uh, well, I'm putting together an article at the moment to help young people get into wind because it is very competitive and difficult despite us crying out for more technicians. So yeah, I did a, I did an engineering degree at the University of Nottingham, which was completely useless. Didn't pick up a spanner in the entire time. Graduated into a recession. Uh, ended up working for a small UK manufacturer of off-grid wind turbines, the tiny ones you see on the back of boats. Did a bit of residential solar for a bit. And then I went to California WindTech, which was like a two-month course they did in California, just as an introduction to electrical and hydraulic schematic reading. And then I got a real lucky break. I applied for like a salesy operations job, which was a real sort of dog's body type role. And they gave me a chance at a wind turbine gearbox consultancy that was just starting up in wind. A load of people had left on maternity leave. We didn't have enough people. And, you know, we had more work than we could deal with. So very often there'd be a shout around the office, who wants to go to Australia America, Scotland, you know, to do whatever job it was, main bearing inspection, portable vibration demonstration, something like that. Stick my hand up. Yeah, I'll go. Right, get yourself books, you travel, off you go. And that was it. You were gone for two, three weeks. And it was fantastic. Um, I was very, very lucky. So this must have been before kids and wife, right? Yes, this was, uh, yeah, yeah, this was very much before BC, as they say, before children. So I've got two young kids now. So those days of sort of carefree travel without permission slips, signed, sealed, and delivered uh, very much um, before that time. But it's, and, and I think that's true of a lot of people's experience within wind is that, uh, especially if they work for OEMs where they do a lot of travel, you know, the, tra the story of the traveling technician is a very, very frequent one. And um, how they sort of progress into sort of working at a particular wind farm or getting two peed across where they get employed by the wind farm owner. Uh, so it's a fairly familiar journey and then they progress to site manager, etc. So as as I traveled around these places, uh, visiting different wind farm site owners, lead technicians, everybody that worked in wind all over the world, I started getting talking to them, you know, ask about their backstory, 
And usually you could get them going, telling stories quite easily. And as somebody that get bored and, you know, there's a lot of dead time and waiting around in wind, as anybody knows, whether it's for a boat or, you know, for wind or weather or parts, uh, you, there's loads of waiting. So you can usually get people talking and understandably quite a lot of the subject matter within the book, Where the Wind Takes You, is about going to the toilets and those idle hours spent talking absolute nonsense pranks getting into shenanigans crashing pool cars you know everything you would expect of unsupervised men alone 100 meters up in the air uh ex-squaddies obviously they've got a very uh <laughs> interesting approach to work um great sense of humor so it's it, it's a very male orientated book i'm sorry to say although there are um female characters in it um but because of that a lot of the humor is very male so it's very good value for that there are 11 chapters in here which are essentially each of them is kind of a trip to a different wind farm in a different country and it follows the journey of aaron who is a wind turbine apprentice him trying to get his feet on the rung of the of the wind industry as he progresses as he bullshits his way through every scenario because he doesn't know what he's doing and just him desperately trying to blag any type of competence or perceived competence uh, as he figures out what it is he's supposed to be doing and all the colorful characters that he meets uh, in wind turbines, completely unsupervised and alone. So it's really his journey. But a lot of the stories, whilst the places are real, the people are real, it's all based on my experience, a lot of the stories, especially the anecdotes, are borrowed. They're all true, 100% true. And uh, I think that's what I really enjoy about the book is that these are all real people. And I think that some of the best feedback I've had from either the people that have donated stories or the people that have read it they said it's very very true to form it's 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 relevant it's it's a representation of their life and they can pick out not so much the people because as, as we say we've anonymized everybody to protect everyone because there's still people some of them in very senior corporate positions now that have contributed to this book and um and they're all here uh, and they're all very recognizable even if they don't know the particular person they will know someone like them i would guess it's a real life look into wind industry of that time. And I, I think that's what's fascinating about it uh, because it was difficult. Everything about it was difficult. Uh, running around in a van, a couple of guys in a van with a, a bunch of tools into a muddy field or icy field, uh, climbing wind turbines, uh, <laughs> turning over sheep that have flipped over in the field and yikes. It's, uh, I mean, it's, it's very, it's very easy to be unprepared because the nature of wind is very changeable anyway. When you couple that with the fact you're trying to maintain a turbine where all of the paperwork you've got is beg borrowed and steeled, uh, the tooling is kind of modified ad hoc. You know, it's that it's it's you have to be incredibly adaptable at the same time, squeaky clean from a health and safety perspective, and it's completely impossible. Speaking of squeaky clean, a lot of the book is about everybody being dirty or greasy or <laughs> covered in mud. At that time, that's what that's how it was. Uh, it was a very unregulated, in, so to speak, industry. Things needed to get done, so it took tough people to, to get it done. And that's the thing that stands out about the book. Yeah, it is the Wild West. I, like, I mean, there are some stories in here which go all the way back to sort of you know, the engineering hippie days of the late 80s where, you know, lattice towers, everything else. So there are, even though most of the story is based on sort of the two megawatt platform, you know, the sort of 
uh, early to 2010 sort of workhorse G15s, 2.3s, this type of thing. He's, there's a real span in there. And despite us having the wind turbine safety rules now, and you know we know better and everything's in the spotlight, we have oil and gas and some very, very established financial players at the scene, especially in offshore, it's still the Wild West. What happens up tower still stays up tower. And there's a very, very, there's a very, very big gap between those that finance and those that maintain. Um, and I think this, the stories still keep coming. I, I was worried, especially now the introduction of turbine toilets into sort of some of the newer machines. Well, oh, that's the end of it. You know, there's no more good stories to come. But good to hear that even on the Halliade platform, absolutely covered. You know, it's got more CCTV in that 15 megawatt turbine than the city of london still no toilets so it just means that when you are going to the toilet you can put your thumbs up to everybody in marine coordination who's looking at you so it's um, we're still not learning our lesson still still reinvented the wheel so um and I, th- I think that's part of the fun of working in wind there's a major difference that you see between the uh, the, the shiny clean exterior that that the you know is portrayed in branding or marketing or in the media or whatever and what's really happening like if you look at a technician's phone and his videos and stories and and things that are going on there like look at this one look at we were installing this tower before it had you know the uh, viv protection on or something and the towers up there swinging them a meter per second and there's guys holding on up there and stuff like so there's a lot of things that happen behind the scenes and i think the book uh dives into those stories and gives gives a almost a like a picture of, of what's what's really happening under the hood of this vehicle out in the field yes very much so and i think um I think that's where the most fun is had, I think, as well as where the, you know, as the old saying goes, like, if you want a clean paycheck, you need dirty hands. And it, some of my stories are just the sheer silliness of it. And, and this, this, this story I'm about to tell isn't actually in the book, but it's, um, it's from a Siemens 2.3. So it's got uh, these lovely sort of clamshell nacelle open roofs where you've got like, a, so you've got a complete vista either way. And what a couple of technicians did was they, they, they worked it out, they measured it up, and they strung up hammocks between the top of the clamshells. And beautiful, beautiful sunny day, so stripped off, stripped off to their boxes, you know, lunchtime, they're ahead in servicing, it's a very slow day. So they're sort of lying there in the sunshine, reading a book, what, sort of, you know, drinking their cups of tea. And then one of them sort of gets up. And he sees the other guy's clothes and he just launches his clothes over the side of the clamshell. So he stood up there, you know, just in his pants. So, in, you know, as a, as a kind of act of revenge, the guy gets out of his hammock and he throws his mate's clothes over the side as well. So they're both standing there in their boxes and they're laughing, obviously. They're just boys, they're being silly. And so they finish the day's work, beautiful sunshine, you know, sort of uh, 25 degrees, you know, late 80s American money. And they think, right, okay, put their harnesses on. So they've got just their pants. They've got their harnesses on. So it looks like they're wearing bondage. And they, cl- <laughs> they climb down tower. And they step out into the field. And they come across this border collie. And like, what's he got in his mouth? So the, the border collie's got this guy's T-shirt in his mouth. And this farmer comes out of nowhere. He's like, here, Meg, Meg. And they and like this farmer clocks these two semi-naked blokes stepping out from the tower door. And he just looks at him and he just shakes, just shakes his head. And uh, it's, as you say, like, uh, where else could you do that? For anybody that's worked in wind for any length of time, being in a car or a van or a truck is just part of that lifestyle because you spend so many hours in there. And that's a great deal about the book. There's like two places where 
the technicians are. Uh, spend a good bit of time in a vehicle, stuck, or trying to get a wounded vehicle back back to the hotel. And then the second is the hotel. That how many nights you spend away from home and the different crazy places you end up spending a hotel night. And, and, and UK hotels are a lot different than American hotels. There's a lot, they are uh, more integrated into the, the fun part of, of life is sort of built into a hotel. It's not just a sleeping space. So it's more of a relaxation space too. You want to talk to like w- what those experiences were and how much time you actually spend in a car and some of the adventures in, in, in those that happen in those places. Yeah, sure. I mean, it, inevitably a huge part of the job is travel and in your twenties is fantastic because you're partying around the world on the company dime, which, you know, can you really put a price on that? But in the UK, all of our wind farms, they're fairly remote. Uh, it's not like Texas or Australia where you've got fairly sort of, you know, hubs, if you will, and lot larger populations as well. So you're looking, you're thinking rural Wales, rural Scotland, and some of the places that you stay have a lot of, how we say, uh, character. So usually there's one person in the pub that does front desk, cooks the meals, serves the drinks, turns the beds, and you're there for sort of two or three weeks stinking up the place. And, um, you know, if, and if there's two or three of you or six or 10 of you on a job, you know, you descend and take over this whole establishment. Like it's your house for the week, basically. And uh, especially some of the more, should we say, testosterone, you know, the, and, you know, the more blokes you get in one space, the more ridiculous it becomes um, because you're always pitching to the lowest common denominator. So I think that's a lot of it is about male camaraderie, drinking far too much on a, on a school night. Yeah, that type of thing. Um, but yeah, the, the travel aspect as well, uh, cultural observations as somebody that had not seen much of the world before working in wind, uh, you know, going to Australia and observing for the first time that no, actually the wind turbines do spin in the same direction. It's still, you know, it's still a wind turbine, So you know, desperately trying to walk the walk whilst not being able to talk the talk. Uh, and I think, I think that's what most people enjoy is that everybody was new once. Uh, and this is very much, uh, you know, somebody that was just starting in wind um, and we were not just within wind at the time but the company that I was working for as well we were making it up as we went uh, and I just could not imagine doing that now especially when you consider the size of the companies that operate these wind farms um, absolutely huge utilities and you've got a bunch of chances just walking in and just making it up um, but yeah I, t- I don't know I'd like to think we have matured and some of that stuff which happened then wouldn't happen now, but yeah, it still happens definitely. The, the other thing that stood out was the number of times you're looking for tools, particularly sockets, that there's always a missing socket and you find tools in the most, in the weirdest places. We want to talk about some of those uh, situations. Yeah, I mean, the, it's the classic meme of sort of the lost 10 mil socket. And um, I think Aaron actually finds one during one of the stories, which is just goes to show how lucky he is. But yeah, misplaced tools. Uh, the main tool of my trade was a, was an endoscope, which was an incredibly unreliable piece of kits because they were supposed to be designed for inspecting squeaky clean off the production line Rolls-Royce jet engines. We used to stick them in all the gearboxes and main bearings all the time, and understandably, they broke quite often. So you'd be you'd be left on the other side of the world with a very expensive but broken bit of kit, uh, and it happened a lot. 
who has to deal with all the technician silliness that's happening out on the wind turbines themselves? They, they, the, the, the people who manage these, these guys must have incredible stories and just probably just wait for the, for the telephone to ring. I'll tell you what, they have some of the hardest jobs. It, it makes me very, very thankful that I don't work in operations and maintenance anymore because it's like having a second family. Like you have, uh, one of the stories is about a site manager in, um, in Illinois somewhere. He has a hundred and something plus turbines and a similar number of landowners or the cornfield farmers that, that own the land and therefore get a bit of a kickback from, from the turbines. And it talks about his relationship with his many, many bosses that he has, these sort of slack-jawed farmers that sort of complain when his turbine's down or it's being maintained or something like this. And he doesn't really need to look at SCADA because his phone will ring and the farmer will tell him that the turbine is off. So it's, and a lot of the best site managers used to be technicians. And because of that, they know exactly what the techs are up to. They know when they're taking the piss, when they're taking too long on changing the brushes or uh, inspecting the filters or whatever is the task that they've been given. Um, and they are kind of, um, <laughs> they're kind of teenagers amongst toddlers, really. It's kind of the best way I could describe it. Is that they, you know, they have they have to give the appearance of maturity, but really they're sort of, you know, at the earliest opportunity. That you know, hats on, they're up tower as as quickly as possible. And uh, the best site managers always used to be technicians, but at the same time they've also got to wear sort of half wear the corporate hat and do the reporting and everything else. But they, you know, very very easy to draw them into storytelling mode and especially when I was driving around America doing quite a lot of sales and main bearing inspections and stuff, you know, very, very easily you could draw people into storytelling mode. And I think that's, I was quite lucky that, especially seeing how America operates window and M compared to the UK where we have a denser population, smaller turbines, smaller wind farms as well. And you'd be driving through a wind farm in Texas and you'd just hear this, dung, dung. Dun, dun. But like, there's nobody around to hear this wind turbine that's got two teeth missing on the IMS. And you're like, well, <laughs> it doesn't really matter because, you know, you don't need condition monitoring. Just drive around with the truck window open and you can see which one's hanging. And um, that's, and that's, just, that's just Texas. The whole, yeah, the, the, the earth smells of oil. Um, there's nobody around to hear it. And, you know, when in an unregulated market, price of power drops to $17 a megawatt, you know, unsurprisingly, you've not got 50K for a new gearbox. So that's how it runs. And just to see, you know, as somebody that's come from the UK, especially offshore, where everything is, you know, downtime is expensive, uh, boats are expensive, you know, power is king. Um, and because of that, damn the cost of everything to go to the US where it's just like, yeah, just keep it running, give it a go, you know, probably just needs a lick of oil, slap it, it's good to go. It's interesting to see how, depending on the market drivers, the turbines, the wind farms, how different countries operate. And that's, that's again, that's another piece of uh, uh, insight that the book provides as well. But, uh, there, you know, there's pictures in here as well, uh, some of them based on my own photographs, others which are borrowed. Uh, really, if... You know, it's coming up to Christmas time now. If there are, um, if you have somebody in your family that reads the Daily Telegraph and still calls them windmills, it might be a quite, quite nice little eye opener for them. If you know they can actually talk to you about your job rather than just, um, you know, asking the usual sort of uh, benign questions of, uh, of feigned curiosity. So it's, 
it's it's fairly accessible. You know, anybody that's either worked as a technician or if they have a white collar job now, or if they want to reminisce about when they used to have to get their hands dirty, or indeed, one thing I would suggest though, don't give it to your kid that they're young because it's fairly it's eighteen plus. So a couple of people have asked me that it's not really age appropriate, um, as well as the representation of how um, what it's like to be a uh, a female engineer within wind as well, which which is compared to other industries, I think we're we're pretty awful at in terms of representation. So that's touched on as well. So there's lots of themes, something for everybody, um, but it's it's very very light. It's a very easy read and it's humorous, so it's not that serious. So where where can people get the book, Alex? What's the easiest way to buy it? Uh, well, there's two there's two options. So the book is in aid of a mental health charity. So this was uh, written for Mind UK, and it's really to support young people into help building their confidence, overcoming issues of anxiety, depression, anything really that's going to you know prevent them sort of experiencing and enjoying life from a mental health perspective. If you want to support mental health charities, it's available through my website, which is windyproductions.com. Uh, if you go into the book section, uh, it's within there. And if you are less bothered or if you want something a bit more accessible, it's also available through Amazon as well. So Where the Wind, Ta- Where the Wind Takes You is the name of the book and Adventures of Wind Turbine Engineer is the subtitle. Uh, please do buy it on there. Leave a review if you like. And um, please do enjoy. Give it to your friends, family. So Where the Wind Takes You is just full of unfiltered, true-to-life stories about the wind industry. And it's a great gift for the wind technician or engineer in your life. And honestly, how many times can you gift a Lego wind turbine? This is something different for the holidays. Uh, you can go on Amazon, go on Alex's website, and order the book because it, it is a really good read. And it does give a lot of great insights about the wind industry. So, Alex, this has been fantastic. Fantastic.